Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Hey everyone, it's Reed. Before we get started, I just want to say thank you for listening, but now I need you to share the message, share the Lincoln Project podcast. If you haven't already, rate it five stars, share with your friends, your family, anyone who you think might be interested. As always, all I could say is thank you, keep on listening, and now on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined by Jemima Kelly, a columnist for the Financial Times, where she covers a wide range of topics from culture wars to crypto. Prior to the Financial Times, she was a reporter at Reuters and wrote for The Economist. She's a graduate of King's College London, where she studied history, and she's coming to us today from London. Jemima, welcome. Thank you, hi. Well, as I said before we recorded, you have a very unique take And for Americans, I think a very British take on things, a wry humor, as it were. And the two things that you wrote that I read that, as I noted, were of note to a group like ours is the stuff that you've written about Donald Trump. One was a little while ago about a visit to Mar-a-Lago, a travelogue almost of Palm Beach. And the second more recent one was about how Trump is funny. And I think that... um, that's lost when you're in a fight or you see the man and you know smoke comes out of yours. It's hard to see that part of it. So tell us about your explorations through Magaland a little bit. Well, actually, I think it was the visit to Mar-a-Lago that kind of inspired that column in the first place because I met Trump and I wasn't actually sure that I was going to. I didn't approach the story by kind of trying to set up an interview with him. I actually kind of got in there by befriending this woman who was the head of the Trumpettes, which is this kind of lobby group for Trump women trying to get Trump reelected now and, you know, previously trying to get him elected in 2016. And Tony Holt Kramer, who's this kind of amazing woman in her 80s, wouldn't tell me her age, who kind of told Trump that he should be president before he even announced that he was running for the 2016 race. She just kind of is almost like a kind of mirror image of Trump, this woman who like can't lose. And that's what she says that Trump is all about, that like losing is against his whole personality. Anyway, so she kind of took me into Mar-a-Lago and I met him and I was struck by his kind of charisma, to be honest. It was just after the midterms and all the press were saying that like he was in a terrible mood and they were like going back to this whole like, oh, he was throwing ketchup at the walls. He was like raging because like all the candidates that he had like supported had like done really badly. And, you know, I saw him just coming in from a game of golf. This is how like our kind of chance encounter. I was having brunch with the trumpets, kind of hilarious in itself. And then this guy just comes straight away, by the way, like November rain was playing and suddenly it gets turned up like 50 notches. And I was like, what's going on? And Tony, she's like, oh, he's coming. He's coming. So November rain by Guns N' Roses is his walk in music. 
that was his walk-in music on that day. He's got a few, but yeah, he has walk-in music. I mean, to me, that was like funny in itself. And then everyone, I had heard that this might happen. Everyone kind of like broke out into applause. And I like turned around and there was Trump in his like golf gear with his like MAGA hat. And he was like coming straight to our table. He was actually on the phone to Sean Hannity. The whole thing was just like a crazy kind of blur of action. And he passed the phone to Tony. She was talking to Sean. And then like I introduced myself. I asked if I could come. He had just said he was going to be making this announcement on the Tuesday, which was going to be, we all knew was going to be him like announcing his run officially. And I kind of invited myself and he did this whole bravado of like, oh, should I let her come? Should I let her come? You know, like his whole kind of thing. And he did his little dance. And like, I was just struck by how relaxed he was, like contrary to all these, you know, these reports of him being like furious and he was relaxed. He seemed happy. Everyone in Mar-a-Lago adores him. And you can just see how much he loves being surrounded by that. And he was kind of like, it was funny. Like his little dance was funny. I mean, I spoke while I was in Palm Beach with a donor, Thomas Pettifee, like the richest man in Florida, I think, who had been a Trump donor and was now a DeSantis donor. He's now said that he might not be supporting DeSantis anymore because of his stance on abortion. But he had been at the time when I was there, which was in November, he had been saying that like he was very much anti-Trump getting back in and he would do anything it took to stop Trump from getting back in. But he said to me that he loves Trump's sense of humor. And he was like, he's just funny. He's a funny guy. So talking to him about that and then kind of seeing the way that people responded to Trump in Mar-a-Lago, I did then go back on the Tuesday and he was playing like, you know, he DJs from his iPad. I did not know that before I read your piece, but I don't think it surprises me. I mean, he's a lover of music, apparently. Especially show tunes, from what I understand. There was a lot of musicals. There was memory from Caps that was being bled. And see, Jemima, this is the thing, because not only Trump himself, but so many of his supporters love him because they see him as this like sort of crazy alpha male. But the truth is, is like this is the guy who was photographed in the bathrobe. He's got all the gilded rooms and the craziness. And even in several books written about his presidency, they said they would literally play show tunes to soothe the savage beast. Like, these are not traditional American signs of masculinity. No. And I think that's really interesting. Didn't he once say that he and Kim Jong-un had fallen in love? Like, didn't he say that? He said it to like a crowd and everyone was laughing. And he was like, no, we have. We've fallen in love. And he was talking about the beautiful letters that Kim Jong-un had written to him. But remember that the beauty was not in the words. It was that they were very ornate and large. It was the visual nature and, yes, to some extent, the sort of rhetorical nature of them about the fact that it was big. Well, yeah, totally. But I also I don't think that he I think he's confident enough to not need to kind of go along with the normal ideas of masculinity, maybe. I mean, obviously, in some ways, he is like extremely alpha male. But then he also like YMCA is the song that he played. He was playing that there as well. At the end of his big speech, when he announced that he was going to be running again, there was YMCA. Everyone was dancing. I mean, a lot of people have commented on that being like a kind of 70s camp gay anthem. And it's like the Trump anthem. And then he's blasting out like, don't cry for me, Argentina, at one point when I was there. And like memory from cats. And I think that's part of his appeal, actually, is that he doesn't seem to really care. And people disagree with whether his being funny is kind of deliberate or not. Personally, I think it's both. 
I mean, I often think that when he's trying to be funny, he's not funny at all. Like, I personally don't find it funny when he's being, like, cruel to people or, like, you know, I find sometimes when he's trying to be funny, I find funny. Like, some of the names he's come up with, like, I liked, like, low-energy Jeb Bush. <laughs> I thought that was a But look, I mean, he's, I mean, that's the thing. He's the classic schoolyard bully. And that, you know, he's a savant. And this is where I think that, again, you know, so many of our listeners and so many people who loathe him don't understand, as you said, the charisma, right? You don't have to like him for it, if that makes sense. You don't have to believe it's funny. But that doesn't mean that there's not something at work. You could make an argument that in the twisted Alice in Wonderland world of American politics, that in 2016, he was the more charismatic candidate than a Hillary Clinton. You could make an argument that on any given day, he's certainly a naturally better showman than, say, Joe Biden. The problem was is that that showmanship can cross into flat out crazy. And that's the part that he can't control. Right. And no one else can either. But let me ask you this, because this is the other part, too, that I think so many people and you talked about the guy who was getting behind Ron DeSantis before the six week abortion ban is that Trump is not a politician. Right. The rest of the people running against him in this Republican primary in America are politicians. They play by a different set of rules. If Ron DeSantis, as I've said before, got on stage, turned on YMCA and did a little dance, they'd commit him. Right. He would be placed on an involuntary psychiatric hold and people would be like something seriously wrong is broken inside this man with Trump. It's like, well, this is what he does. He does the little dance and his people go crazy for it. A hundred percent. I mean, so there was that DeSantis thing that went viral, right, of him trying to laugh at the like car show in Iowa. Like he was talking about the Porsche. And, and he throws his head back. And he yeah. throws his head back. I mean, he, he has like negative charisma, doesn't he? I mean, yeah, like, no, he's a black hole for it. Yeah, he is a black hole. Trump is like a lot of people who have this slightly like not really caring, not trying very hard. I mean, that in itself has a certain kind of charismatic quality to it. Like there's so little ideology, really. Like what Trump cares about is like winning and he cares about like having power. And I think he cares about being loved. I think he's a people pleaser. I just feel like that's something he cares about. Does he like care a lot about abortion or like any of the things that he says he cares about? No, like he was even asked, I think it was on, a, on the Sean Hannity interview that he did recently. He was asked like, what's your stance on abortion? And he literally said, this is a difficult one because half of the base, <laughs> he literally explicitly said, which politicians, again, this is so not a politician thing to do. He explicitly said, well, I can't really answer that question <laughs> because some of the base are going to get pissed off if I answer one way and some of the base are going to get pissed off if, if I answer the other way. Therefore, I'm not going to answer the question. You know, so he's gone and said that openly and like maybe someone else, you, you know, if that happened in Britain, we might be like, what the hell? He just admitted that he's only answering questions on the basis of like what's going to be popular rather than like what his actual policy might be or what he believes. But like none of this ever seems to matter to like his levels of support. Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. 
there are people who have been leaders of political parties, and then there are leaders of movements. And he is both. There is a movement behind him that is 100% emotional in nature. He gets away with this stuff because they're not intellectualizing what he says. Because by definition, for the most part, anything he says, they're okay with, right? Because he said it. That's the definitional nature of it. So why did this donor you spoke with in Palm Beach, why is he turning on Ron DeSantis? Because of what he did on abortion, right? Trump even said, I got abortion overturned, right? Remember, he said that. And he also, he's also completely transactional in nature. He'll say whatever he needs to say at any moment in time to get through to the next moment, which is why in so many of his depositions of the hundreds, if not thousands of lawsuits he's been involved in in his life, there's always has to be two attorneys sitting with him because he'll lie, right? Because he'll just say like, well, I didn't do that or that's not the case or, you know, he'll just make something up because to him it's if I'm in this problem, how do I get to the next thing? The other part too is like if he's reading off a teleprompter, you can tell like, he slows down. You talked about how like when he's on script, he's not funny. And that's true too when he's reading. Like if he's reading off a teleprompter, it goes way down, the energy dies. And so you can't hem him in, right, for very long. And you can try, right? And he's willing to do that, but not for very long. I really noticed that during the announcement. So I was like, the press were at the back, but because I was with the trumpets, I was at the front. And there was a guy who, had, who I'd spoken to before he'd started who was like a massive Trump fan who'd been all around the country and he was filming it for like his blog, right? The guy was asleep. By the end, he literally had his head like down with his eyes closed and he was holding up the camera to keep filming because it was so boring because Trump, amazing energy, I mean, crazy energy. He'd just been going and going, reading off this teleprompter, but also obviously always veering off, right? And the veering off stuff was kind of more entertaining. But it was it was like the energy was really down by the end of it because it was really that's not what he does well. And it's funny because like you never sit there and watch the full thing. Right. We see the clips and the clips are entertaining. But actually, when you're there watching the whole thing and him reading, it doesn't like work as well. But these people who have come from all over the place to come and support Trump, who are meant to be his biggest fans, who are all wearing like they were all dressed in like MAGA hats and these crazy like biker jackets with like badges all over them. And there was this whole group of people from the Jews exiting the Democrat party, like they, they're calling themselves Jexit. And one of these women was from the real housewives of, I think, New Jersey. I've come watch New Housewives it was. And they were all kind of like posing for pictures. And like, it was a completely mad, mad energy and like extremely excited and very, very packed. Like it was a lot of people in this crazy gilded ballroom. And then as he was kind of going on and on and on, you could just see people, as I say, one guy falling asleep, people trying to leave. You could feel the energy go down a bit. But then as he kind of got to the end and was like freestyling a bit more, then it all kind of went up again. And then all the press like left. And I went back up to the patio because, again, I was with these like trumpet women. And there was Trump like after this whole speech, he was just there on his iPad sitting next to like Jared Kushner and Eric Trump ordering a Diet Coke, having his dinner at like 10 p.m. or 10.30 p.m. And just like still there, like surrounded by, you know, I think he feeds off of that. Like how many people would want to then continue being in like a kind of public facing place after you've just kind of spoken on stage for 90 minutes nonstop? You know, the guy's in his late 70s and he's there like back, like in this 
basically party. It was like a real party atmosphere up on the patio, like playing songs extremely loudly. Like the energy, I, I remember being very struck by that. Because again, like the narrative at the time was like, oh, you know, Trump's sad. He knows he's a loser now. And like, you know, he's angry that the midterms didn't go how he wanted them to go. And he's out of energy. He's all spent. And I was like, wow, no, that's not the impression I'm getting at all. This guy seems full of beans. Like I, he doesn't seem like he's lost any of the energy he had a few years ago. Um, I was surprised at the kind of the level of health that he looked in. He doesn't drink, which I guess helps. Give us a little bit of the psychology from your perspective of the trumpet. There's a guy in Florida, I think he's a former columnist for the Miami Herald named Carl Hyacin. And he writes these books that are just fabulous. And they're so funny about how crazy and weird Florida is. And one of his recent books is called Squeeze Me. And it's literally like a send up of a Trump presidency where I don't think they're called the trumpets, but they're called something very similar. There's a very similar type group. And one of them disappears, and it turns out that she's eaten by a snake on the property. And the whole thing becomes this juxtaposition between, like, what happened to the lady with the big ring? And she's a big supporter of the president, all the insanity of the president, and, you know, Mara Lago. And again, he's changed all the names, but it's clearly, you know, wow, sort of a... wait, there was in the book, there's a woman with a big ring. Yeah. Oh, because that must be Tony Holt Kramer, which is the main trumpet, because that was a big part of like the thing when I was there was that Trump just kept on going on about this ring that she has, this wedding ring, which is like this massive, massive diamond. It is the biggest diamond I've ever seen. And he was saying it was worth like, I've forgotten how many million dollars. She kind of whispered to me afterwards that it wasn't as much as Trump was saying it was worth. But he was telling Sean Hannity on the phone, he was like, Sean, you got to see her ring. It's a giant ring. It's how many carrots. And then like on the Tuesday night when I was back there, we were actually trying to leave and he saw us and he kind of called him. He was like, Tony, Tony, show him the ring, show him the ring. I mean, with her, I was struck by her sweetness and seeming like goodness as a person. Because again, you know, like we have this caricatured idea of like what a Trump supporter might look like. And particularly someone who's not just a Trump supporter, but is leading a campaign to like try and get him back into the White House. But she is like an incredibly impressive woman who's like at the age that she is, she's still like trading stocks all day. And she knew exactly what was happening like in the news. She's very on top of all the latest developments in the news and like very articulate and I was trying to kind of just understand the psychology of why someone like her would be so desperate to have Trump back in office. And I think the main thing that came through from her and from the Trumpets and from that whole scene there really is that Trump, they feel, is a powerful man and they want America. I think there are some real anxieties that I actually wrote about recently as well on the back of some polling about American decline. And like, if you look at the shift in like the rapid shift in people's anxiety in America about the decline of the US, it's kind of eye opening, I think. Like, uh, there was a recent Pew poll that had like 71% of Americans feel that America will be in decline by 2050. And that was up by like 11 points in the space of like three years. And I feel that like what people kept telling me in a kind of around the Mar a Lago scene. People who liked Trump, which obviously basically everyone at Mar-a-Lago is a Trump fan. Right. You wouldn't go there if you were. You wouldn't go yeah. there. And there are like other member clubs, like other private clubs to be members of. But it was that he was like the powerful leader that America needed and that they didn't think that Biden was a powerful leader. That just came through again and again. They also kept going on about how like the economy has suffered because of 
like Biden. And, and then I would say, yeah, but don't you think that might be more connected to like Ukraine? And then they all come back with Putin would have never invaded had Trump been in office. I think this is an important point about the show and the carnival barker nature of Trump. I mean, I will admit to like his ability to be funny. And again, I think that's a key piece of the charisma that his people feel for him. And also, I think a real and to me concerning part of people who, you know, may not like Trump necessarily, but like, look, the guy's a clown. Is he really that bad? You know, he's a goof. You know, he, he doesn't think about any of this stuff. But, you know, that's the part of it, too, which is right. It's make America great again. So he goes around saying America's in decline. He's convinced half the country that America's in decline. And he's got a massive normative media outlet or media ecosystem that parrots all the stuff he says. The economy, like if you want a job in America right now, you can get a job in America right now, right? Inflation's cooling off compared to most other Western economies. And, you know, Biden, if, you know, maybe he's not the most exciting guy, but you know what? Like he does the job. And I think that's the other part too, which is, is Biden going to get up and dance to YMCA? No, that's not what he does. And no one would expect him to do that. But he also gets up every morning and does the job of being president of the United States, which for Trump, and I'd be curious about this, which is in his first administration, he had real live experts around him that said, you can do this, you can't do that. He would get mad when he wanted to do something. It was always about the base. It was always about the Trumpets or you know, the guy that I saw at a lake in Idaho, right, who had a giant pickup truck and he had an F Joe Biden flag on one side of the truck and a vote Trump on the other side of the truck. Right. So like he does have the ability to sort of manage both the hyper wealthy elite, such as they are, and the sort of common, you know, guy who's pissed off about everything. But, you know, when you take that and you place it back inside the most powerful room on the planet, Next time around, like he's going to want a hell of a lot more Mar-a-Lago people, type people, or at least as far as the adulation and the adoration is concerned, and a hell of a lot less people who, you know, are four star generals who said, Mr. President, you can't do that. And I'm not going to do it for you. Yeah. And I mean, that's actually um, Gillian Tett, who's a columnist for the FT as well. She wrote a column about this this week, actually, in which she was kind of talking about the fact that a second Trump presidency would be way scarier than the first one was. And one of the reasons is potentially that the people who were willing, you know, there was this whole question over like, should someone quit because Trump is president or should they try and stay there and try and steer things as good a direction as they can, right? And there's that like whole dilemma. But I think the sense that I got from her column was that she was saying that people just wouldn't be prepared to do that and that he wouldn't be prepared to have those people in the first place. He just wants people who will enable him. So that makes it obviously a lot kind of scarier. Well, and look, I have two of my best friends who tried that in his first term, and I don't speak to them anymore, unfortunately. And here's what I have found about that is that you can believe that you can steer things. And they, they had senior roles within you know two major departments in the government. The truth is, is that the current and the river are much stronger than you could ever hope to be. So at some point, you have to decide, am I going to stay on this boat or aren't I? Because it's going where it's going. And the truth is, I thought I could help it but I can't. But do I really want to get off the boat, Jemima? Because, you know, the boat's exciting and it's fun and it's crazy. And I think you could see that for, you know, a lot of D.C. journalists. You know, I, there was a, a piece written by Julia Yaffe, who writes for Puck before she joined Puck about 
all of her friends in the White House press corps. This is towards the beginning of the Biden presidency. And they're like, the Biden White House doesn't leak. It makes boring news, right? It does all this other stuff. And just like the Trumpets and just like the guy in the pickup truck, I think sometimes a lot of people in American politics, including some of your colleagues, became addicted to the insanity and the chaos, right? Like, do I like this stuff? No. But you know what? Like, nothing's going to generate clicks like him telling you to put bleach in your veins, right? I mean, that is a good example of him being absurd. Do you know what? I remember that because that was like, I think it was like May 2020. And it was the first time that I had, you know, it was a bit of a dark time, right? We were all a bit scared and locked inside. And it was the first time that I had had like a proper laugh. In fact, when I saw the Sarah Cooper, like when she did the whole like voice, and it was so good. Like he is just unintentionally absurd. This is another reason that I wanted to do this column because I had turned on you know, I like to listen to a whole different like range of like podcasts, different political points of view. And I'd listened to, I was listening to a few like very like left wing ones and they were all laughing. When they were talking about Trump, they were laughing. When they were talking about Biden, there was no kind of fun there at all. Okay, fine, because Biden isn't doing anything absurd, not to the extent of Trump, but not in the same way as Trump. And so like we like to laugh. And so if you look at like the amount that Trump spent about half of what Hillary spent in the like 2016 campaign and he got a huge amount more media. And similarly, like he's raised, is it like 35 million or something so far? And Biden's already like got over double that. But is he going to get the same amount of coverage? Because that's the thing. It's just this spectacle. We can't stop watching whether you love him or you hate him. It's an extremely compelling thing. You know, Biden, as you say, he's not very funny. You know, he just doesn't have the gift of the gap when it comes to being funny. Obama did, right? Like after I wrote that column, someone pointed out that like Biden is the first not funny president in quite a long run of presidents who were able to make people laugh. This guy said it was like George Bush, like senior, who was the last time that there wasn't a funny president. I don't know if that was his take, but I mean, like watching Obama at the correspondence, like when he was roasting Trump after the whole Bertha thing, you know, there was that time that Obama got up and he was like, he had a video of the Lion King. It was really funny. And Trump was in the room and infuriated. So angry. So here's the thing, though. But this is an important distinction because Trump wants to be the funny man, but he will not be the butt of the joke. I do think that Trump has the like he's got too much of an ego to like be happy to be the butt of the joke. But I do think that part of the reason he's funny is just this kind of natural like his voice is funny, right? The way he says indicted and like China. So, Rob, to that end, let's play this. Can you play the Puerto Rico thing? We are also praying for the people of Puerto Rico. We love Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. And we also love Puerto Rico. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you remember when he called it Yosemite Park instead of Yosemite. And you're like, how the hell do you not know it's Yosemite? See, even in that clip. He knows that that's funny because people are laughing and he's repeating it. And that's another thing that he's exceptional at is like, OK, I think he's got really good timing. And I think the thing about being funny is having good comic timing. Like you can say the line, but if you're not delivering it at the right time, it's just not funny. But he just repeats himself to such just absurd extent. Like I've listened to the full Trump tapes, the Bob Woodward interviews are like 20 hours of interviews. And Trump just says the same thing. Like he just keeps on repeating himself. But I think it's just his way of conversation. You know, like people like to repeat things that make them feel good. Like they keep saying, and it's always about himself. He's like, 
oh yeah, you know, I was the first person to cross the line, you know, the like the North Korea, which is not true anyway. And he just keeps saying it. Like with that Puerto Rico thing, he says it so many times and that's funny in itself. But that's a little kid. That's what little kids do. When little kids get a laugh, they do it over and over again because they get that dopamine rush. So he's the functional equivalent of a toddler. Yeah, the toddler in chief, right? Just repeating something in a circle is just funny. It's like, And Trump just kind of somehow knows that. There was this woman who wrote this 2016 paper that I cited in my column about him being funny. Some academics at the University of Colorado Boulder had argued that like his comic value had basically been the key thing in making him president. And that this is obviously, you know, wrapped up in his charisma and his being kind of entertaining and like a spectacle that we all just can't stop watching, whether we hate him or love him. And she's a New Yorker herself, this academic. And she was saying that like the Trump style of comedy, and again, some of it unintentional, some of it intentional, is very like New York kind of comedy scene. It's crude. It's gestural. She talked about a lot about the way he uses gestures. And there's a, this whole like plausible deniability thing where like he doesn't always finish the sentence. Like he'll say something rude about someone and then he'll kind of gesture it or like leave the crowd to kind of work out what he means. So he can't like get in trouble. But that's also, you know, if you talk to experts on authoritarianism, when he makes jokes about something awful and he goes, well, I'm just kidding. And then three months down the road, he says it, but now he's serious, right? So you open the door to these things with humor, which again, I don't know that he knows what he's doing when he does it, but it has the same practical effect because that's the thing is you have someone who's the jester, who's the toddler, who's the absurdist in chief, but there are really dark things inside this guy, probably all related to the same insecurity that needs to be laughed at, right? That needs to be found funny and to be adored. Remember that he says Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico. And then he goes to Puerto Rico and he like throws paper towels at them. He said, oh, well, okay, well, you know, if in COVID, if you're a red state, you get all the help you want. If you're a blue state, screw you. And so the adoration when sitting inside the Oval Office, you know, look, we're not quite France, right? But in the, in the United States now, if you're a president of the United States and you're somewhere in the mid 40s, as far as your approval is concerned, you're relatively speaking popular. All right. So Jemima, what else is, is it you're working on? Well, I don't want to give away too many secrets of things that are coming up, but I'm, I was recently in America and I was in Texas and California and Washington State, three very different places, actually. So I'm working on a piece on higher education, American higher education. That's all I'll, I'll say on that. And that's, I think there's some really interesting things going on with that. And then I'm also doing something. Have you ever heard of the Unitarian Church, the Unitarian Universalist Church, actually? I have, but I don't know anything about it. Okay, well, I'm doing something on like American religion and I'm doing something on American higher education. And I might even do something for next week on no labels and like the idea of centrism. Well, let me just say this as someone who tried that twice, it's bullshit. So I will talk to you off the air about that at length. Um, all right, where can our listeners find you on social media and where can they find your work? Well, I'm on ft.com. We have a paywall, so become a subscriber. And my Twitter handle is at Jemima Joanna. As always, gang, you can find me on Twitter and TikTok at Reed Galen, on Instagram and threads at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP. Jemima, I hope you'll come back and see us again. And everybody else, we'll see you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. 
Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln, and for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you want to message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And if you want to personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy, visit jointheunion.us. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.